Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rcraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the Microcap message. Special thank you to our sponsors for today's episode, Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC and Quarter, whose mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. Visit your app store of choice to try it out. And that's Quarter, Q-U-A-R-T-R. We are excited to host our first in-person event in nearly three years. The Planet Microcap Showcase is back in Las Vegas on May 3rd to the 5th, 2022 at Bally's Hotel and Casino. It's time to see each other. It's time to network in person. Let's make it all happen in the entertainment and business capital of the world. For more information, please go to www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. It's about a month away. Time to book all your accommodations. Let's get after it. We're so excited. And we'll see you in Vegas. Speaking of the Planet Microcap Showcase, for this episode of the Planet Microcap Podcast, I spoke with Bill Powers, host of the Mining Stock Education Podcast, as well as a full-time investor in resource stocks. He will be moderating a panel at the event called Expert Tips and Strategies for Profitably Investing in Junior Mining Stocks with Gwen Preston and David Erfley. I was a guest on Bill's podcast recently, so we wanted to do a home and home to discuss his upcoming appearance in Vegas, as well as dig into the topic of investing in junior mining stocks. As you know, I try and be judicious to all microcap investing strategies and specialties from the more value approaches to growthy stuff, to cannabis, crypto, mining, and more revenue generating Lynchian type businesses. Whether you like it or not, metals and mining makes up a huge, that's huge with a capital Y, a swath of the microcap space. With gold not far off, it's all-time highs and macro pressures to increase domestic production for most metals. If you want to start educating yourself on how to play some of these tailwinds, my conversation with Bill is a great start and his podcast is an excellent resource. So thank you again for tuning in to episode 222 of the Planet Microcap podcast. And please enjoy my conversation with Bill Powers. 
This episode is brought to you by Stream by Alpha Sets. You can find them at streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Stream is an expert interview transcript library that is starting to become an integral part to investors' research process. They have a number of interviews on a wide variety of companies, including TMT, consumers, industrials, real estate, and more. Stream provides over 300 expert interviews per week, and 70% of their experts are found exclusively on Stream. Stream is unlike any other transcript libraries. Stream integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Stream's community of experts and thought leaders partner with Stream to build their professional brands and expand their industry influence. Right now, there are approximately 8,500 plus call transcripts available. For more information, please visit www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Welcome back to the Planet Microcap podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And joining me today, my guest, uh, I was just on his show, so we're doing a little home and home. It's Bill Powers. He is the host of the Mining Stock Education Podcast and a full-time uh, private investor in resources. Well, he's full-time, full-time both. So, uh, Bill, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Very good, Robert. Thank you for enjoying, uh, inviting me on your show. Really appreciate it. I, I appreciate you taking the time. And also, I should mention that Bill will be uh, moderating a panel at our upcoming uh, in-person conference in Las Vegas, the Planet Microcap Showcase, May 3rd, 5th, 2022. Go and register to see that in person, live at planetmicrocapshowcase.com. And, and Bill, on that, what, what are, what, what's our topic again? I, I, should, I should have it pulled up, but, but what, what are you planning on speaking on? So I'll, I'll be moderating a panel with David Erfley of JuniorMinerJunkie.com and Gwen Preston of ResourceMaven.ca. And the focus is on tips and strategies for both retail and accredited investors, how you can be successful in the resource sector. And as there's going to be a lot of generalist small cap investors there, uh, we're going to be talking about why you really want to take a look at resource stocks. And perhaps this could be one of the better times to look at resource stocks as well. Absolutely. I like our title for it. You know, expert tips and strategies for profitably investing in junior mining stocks, not investing in profitable junior mining, but profitably investing. You know, we, we might substitute the word speculating too, because <laughs> when it comes to small mining stocks, I consider it almost all speculation. <laughs> that is that is for sure. Well, we've been in the business as long as we have. Yeah, it's, mo- it's mostly speculation. So Bill, I know you know you have a great following for your show. I, I'm sure most folks know your background from there, but you know for for my audience that may not know you know about mining stock education. Can you give us a little bit of background on yourself and what how that came to be? Sure. Seven years ago, didn't know anything about mining stocks. Was running a construction company in Metro Detroit, and then after Lehman's Brothers and everything that happened with the financial crisis and real estate crashing. Uh, began to invest in gold and see the wisdom of putting a lot of my savings in physical precious metals, gold and silver. And then from 2011, 2012, we saw gold and silver just crash going down into uh, late 2015 and silver went under $14 an ounce. And I bought most of my silver 20 to $22 an ounce. And I said to myself, you know, I don't believe that silver is going to stay down this low. And I had physical 
gold and silver um, as an investment and as a, as a hedge against inflation, a protection of my purchasing power. Uh, but then it's financial insurance. But then I said, how can I profit in a leveraged way off of what I anticipate to be silver's rise? So then I started looking at silver mining stocks and I bought a bunch of silver mining stocks on January 21st, 2016. This was two days after the bottom in uh, the junior mining stocks. And in the next six months, I saw tenfold gains in a number of those small junior miners, including I bought uh, First Majestic Silver for like $2.50 or something US. And this is traded on a major stock exchange, this one. And then it ran up to like $19 US in six months. And I said, what have I got here? You know, like if, if I can make this kind of money, not knowing what I'm doing, what kind of money could I make if I actually devoted myself to try to figure out how to do this right? And at the end of 2016, after a year of experience uh, speculating in mining stocks, I said, let me start my own show, not as an expert, but as someone wanting to learn how to do this better. And from there, began to interview some of the smartest people in the industry. And now I'm in my five and a half years into it. Awesome. What was it back then that was the initial, uh, or like what made you actually look at junior mining stocks? Because I mean, this is one of those situations where, you know, I've interviewed a number of investors on here where, you know, they went down the rabbit hole for that particular sector or that strategy because, hey, this was where I first made money. So why not continue to go down that rabbit hole? So what, what was that first, like, I need to look at this? It was just the simplistic belief that silver wasn't going to stay below $14 an ounce. And just what is a leverage play on a rising silver price? And I, I looked at some of the, you know, a silver ETF or SLV, and I compared those charts versus some of the small silver junior mining charts, which a lot of them were sold off 95%. They were 5% of what they were in 2011. And I didn't even honestly spend much time looking at the financials or investigating all the things I do now as part of my due diligence process. But it was just the belief that if silver gets a bid and gets some love, that these stocks, it won't take much for them to double or triple. And, and then they went up a thousandfold, a thousand percent, excuse me, which uh, exceeded my expectations. Wow. And then I got hooked. You know, <laughs> a, t a 10 bagger will hook you quickly. <laughs> I'd say. Uh, so, you know, what, one of the, 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 themes we're going to be hitting on for our event um, with, with your panel, not, not to quickly change back to that topic, but now that we have your background and everybody can get like, okay, the guy's been, been in the business for a while. And now he's been interviewing all these amazing guests that focus uh, specifically on mining. You know, we tend to have more of a generalist audience here, um, you know, looking at everything, evaluating all types of opportunities, including junior mining and resources, even though that tends to be on probably the smaller side of, of most of our audience. But when we're thinking about generalist investors, you know, how should they make sense of the junior mining space just in general and also right now? So when I invested for the first time, as I just shared in the junior mining stocks, the tide was very low, but the tide was about to come in. And the tide that was coming in was a rising commodity price. So you can basically buy any junior miner at the bottom of a cyclical bottom, and they will most likely go up two, threefold at least if the commodity has a strong upward price move. Silver went up 50%. The silver juniors went up 
eight to tenfold, a lot of them. So that's the first thing I want to point out with my success. It really didn't have anything to do with my brains. As Rick Rule says, don't confuse a bull market with brains because that's one of the things you can do. Think, think it's all because of you. It's not because of you. The only thing you got right was silver's too low right now and it's going to rise. So that was, that was my experience. Okay. That was a bull market. But when you're investing in junior mining stocks, if you can imagine yourself as like a scuba diver, you're swimming in shark infested waters. However, about 50, 60 feet below the surface at the bottom of the ocean, there's a number of treasure chests. And any one of those treasure chests could change your life financially forever. But you have to find that treasure chest amidst the shark infested waters. What is the treasure chest? It's, it's a, a, a small junior miner run by a good management team with a good project at the right time in the market cycle. Now, the, the opportunity or the likelihood of you as a scuba diver finding that is very low because there's shark infested waters. Who are a lot of those sharks? You know, Vancouver has often been called scam coover. There's a lot of people with ulterior motives to where they are looking to mine your pockets, not find a mine and make you money as an investor as they find a mine and the share price goes up. So one of the key things you need to do right away is discern the motivation of management. You can do that by talking to them, looking at how they're compensated, because you really don't, you cannot expect somebody to uh, act in a way that's not in their best interests. You, that's just how you have to look at it. You have to be very real with that. A lot of managers pay themselves too much or issue themselves cheap shares. So their goal could just be to create liquidity in the stock while they offload cheap shares, whether they have geological success or not. And so you want to find management whose uh, financial motivation is in line with you. Management that will make, make money as they make you money. So that's a key thing um, that you really need to look out for, uh, especially as a new investor. Those are some of the sharks swimming around. But then here's the thing. Even when you get good management teams that have had success in the past, that are some of the most honest people, hardest working people you can come by, it's very difficult. Uh, the mining sector you know, the, the expectation is failure, Rick Rule always says. And in the mining sector, Murphy's Law works overtime. It's one of the toughest businesses that you can be in. You know, if you're running a factory and the government gives you a problem, you can just make your widgets, you know, move somewhere else, raise some money, build a factory in a different country. Well, you can't do that with a mineral deposit. You have to deal with the government or the local people. There's just more things that could go wrong that can go right. But why do we do it? Because when we get it right and when things go right, you can truly experience life-changing gains. I'd like to take a quick second to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Quarter. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world, straight from your pocket for no cost. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. The first step on this journey is to let you, the user, interact with the company's content while you're listening. Visit your app store of choice and try it out today by searching for Quarter, and that's Q-U-A-R-T-R. -R. Now back to the show. Do you have any anecdotes from when you thought, all right, all it meets all my criteria. Good management, right project, right timing, right? If we were just narrowed down to those three, because we could go through, you know, all the 
the nitty gritty of what makes a good project and all that. But at the end of the day, I think people want to hear some stories. So I'd love to hear some anecdotes of when you'd like, you thought it was right. And on both sides, when it was right. And then also times where you're like, dang it, I uh, missed, I missed that one key point. So uh, this company had, was a show sponsor for about two years. It's Arcana Silver based out of Uri, Colorado. Uh, I invested several times through private placements uh, with my own money starting a little over two years ago. And so I started investing at 22 cents Canadian. And the investment thesis for this small junior company was that uh, they were going to bring a a narrow vein, very high grade narrow vein silver mine in Colorado back into production. Uh, This mine was in production 100 years ago and on and off in production, depending on where the silver price was, the last operator of the mine uh, failed and Arcana was doing new studies, raising new money to, to bring the mine back into production. Uh, I visited the mine several times. And the thesis was that generally when a company is on the verge or the year going into declaring commercial production, if they're successful, you get 100% re-rate typically in a company that's going into pro- uh, um, production. And then if you couple that with the silver bull market, there's not that many silver stocks. So if you can get into production, you can get some nice cash flow. And if the silver price, which can be explosive, is going up, you can literally make 20, 30, 40, even 50 times your money. So that's, that, that's the upside that you dream about. And I invested in this company starting at 22 cents all the way up to a dollar. So my cost basis somewhere in between there. And you know, for me, I even wrote a large check at a dollar financing after I started financing the company at 22 cents. And then just as their you know, COVID hit, which threw a monkey wrench. And so they had all sorts of problems with um, supply chain delays in building their mill and all the cost inputs, the lumber, the steel, everything for the mine went up. The labor inputs uh, went up dramatically. So they had all these challenges. And then they add on top of that geological challenge where they had uh, shifting rocks in one of the shafts that caused a whole lot of problems. And the mine actually had to shut down recently. And the share price today is, I don't know, 25, 27 cents Canadian. So that's an example in the mining sector where I started investing at 22 cents, saw it rise to a dollar, even financed it at a dollar. And now it's back close to where I originally financed it because the mine startup in the last 18 to 24 months didn't go as planned. And now they're in a place to where they need money again. So that's an example of, you know, the, the share price too, you know, it, it goes fourfold, right? But then it goes right back to where, where it came from. And that's part of the opportunity too, Robert, in the mining sector is a lot of these stocks, these junior mining stocks, they go round trip at least once every year. You know, Rick Rule says, I've never had a 10 bagger in the resource sector that wasn't cut in half by 50% at least once, if not twice on the way there. So if you know how to play the seasonality and the volatility, um, there is, there's great opportunity there. And then a, a current company that uh, is a show sponsor that I also invested in that I have uh, hopes for that I think uh, could do great things even this year is Trillion Energy. And this is a natural little natural gas company in the Black Sea, also have, has a project in Bulgaria, but they own 50% of a natural gas project. 
Uh, they have all the platforms, like $600 million of infrastructure already there. The platforms, the pipes at the bottom of the Black Sea, the processing facility onshore in Turkey. Uh, the Turkish government uh, is their 51% partner, and they just needed to raise a little capex to drill these wells that they know the gas is there to turn on the cash flow spigot. And there's a lot of exploration upside for this company too. So I saw this uh, 14 months ago. I began to buy shares, you know, between five and seven cents US. For me, took a, a pretty big position, pretty big bet because the company was trading below liquidation value. And that's something you look for too. If there's near-term catalysts, if the, your current entry point is low, not just historically, but using a metric say, saying, what if you sold all the steel of all these platforms, and I could look at it and see it, the steel alone is worth more than the $8 million Canadian market cap. So, And they have an onshore gas processing facility, and they have multiple projects they're getting no value for. So because the entry point I could get was so low, I took a big bet, five to seven cents, ran up to 52 cents last year. It's come back down. It's in, I think, the low 20 to 25 cent range right now in U.S., and they just raised $17, $18 million Canadian. And if everything goes well, again, management has to execute. We could be looking at sputting uh, these wells this summer. And then in this environment, they're getting paid $15 US per MCF. The production costs are somewhere down by a dollar or thereabouts. So just massive cash flow in a time when Russia is cutting off their natural gas to NATO and the European Union and all the tension and sanctions that are going on. If you can be a natural gas producer in this region, you know, uh, I think that the share price could run even more. So that's that's the stock I own now. It's a big position in my portfolio and I'm hopeful for it. Thank you for those those anecdotes, by the way. That, 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 that was great. Um, you know, the one thing I've always come across when it comes to the mining stocks, and 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 it hits me even harder when you say that it's about you know uh, right project, right time, is getting that timing right. Um, like I remember in the last, you know, uh, we we did a, a, a number of interviews with Precious Metals, and a lot of those come uh, for for the Beaver Creek show, and in the last two years, the first in twenty twenty, a lot of them were saying, you know, we're managing through COVID, you know, doing best we can. And then last year it was a lot of, um, we're near-term production. For a lot of junior mind, they're like, what? You're near-term production? So when you, it, it's really hard to understand, at least even still, and I've, I've been covering and doing interviews with mining companies since 2011. It's still so hard for me for that pattern recognition of like, okay, what is now the new cycle? What is what should we be looking at right now? And how quickly some of the previous cycles then are out of favor already, right? So how, how for you do you discern that and, and have some sort of discipline to know, okay, this is when a cycle is over. This is some of the things that a lot of these companies are saying right now. You know, how do you, how do you figure out what you should be looking at? So I, cause I get to interview some of the smartest people. I interview, um, people, analysts from the CRU group or uh, macro economists, and I basically compile their thoughts and then maybe dig a little deeper to see if their thesis, uh, jives with me. I'm, I'm not an economic, uh, expert, so I don't want to say I am in any way, but what I do is I kind of 
take inventory when I interview somebody, because I've been interviewing people since 2016, does, does their predictions come true? Because for example, like when it comes to gold, and I mostly cover gold, although we talk about other commodities, uranium, copper, nickel, lithium, and so forth. Like with gold bulls, we're so convinced of the bullish gold narrative that like gold is always going up. And when gold doesn't always go up, we think it's there's something wrong. But you can't, as a as an investor and as a junior mining speculator, you, you can't operate like that. You know, we we see the wisdom of why you would buy gold. You know, 40% of US dollars were issued in and created in the last two years. That alone, inflation, true inflation is at 15 plus plus percent if you calculated it the way they did in the late 70s or early 80s. So why isn't gold going up more? You know, that's a question I ask and I, I don't quite understand. But so you got to be aware of like that, that bullish bias. But when it comes to, so for example, on Twitter, I've observed people saying tin's going to go up for about three, four years. There were some voices on Twitter saying, you know, tin's going to go up, find quality tin juniors. And if you can find quality tin juniors, you're going to make a killing when tin goes up. And I watched people do that for like two, two to three years. And they were 100% right. And then I, I've seen people say, copper's going to go up, copper's going to go up, copper's going to go up. And I've been seeing people say that for, for years. And it wasn't until a year ago that we really saw a powerful move in copper. So I might not be directly answering your question, but, but I'll say this. If you get enough smart people saying it's going to go up, it's probably going to go up, but it's probably going to go up a little later than they're telling you that it's going to go up. If that's helpful, that's that. No, that is very helpful, and and I think you know having resources like yours, you know the few and far between resource interviews I do over time. Um, I mean, that's really where you can get a lot of differential insights to get a better understanding as to because for the most part, almost you know between Rick and 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 Brent Cook and Joe Mazumdar, Gwen, you know most of these folks are are contrarian by nature, you know. So if they're going to publicly say something and have a take, you know, it's, it's at least worth digging into a little bit. And Robert Rick will be the first to tell you he is always early. And sometimes you even like, he's been saying we need to get into uranium stocks, but uranium stocks didn't really move until last year. And so he, sometimes you, you got to ask yourself, uh, when is too early wrong? You know, if you if you lose four four years, you're in it too early before it starts to move. Was that even the right decision? It's just a question each individual investor has to ask themselves. Can you be a long term investor in in speculating junior mining? No, you you rent, not buy, and you date, not marry junior mining stocks. And even when you like the management, because uh, I've had even barbecues with management teams that I invest in and that sponsored my show and that I like, but at the end of the day, they need to make you money. So don't let the fact that you personally like the management team or the leader uh, skew your investment decision, but you have to look at these things as short-term um, holds. However, at this, when I say that, you also got to give management enough time to try to accomplish what you originally signed up for. So let's say a management team says, I'm raising seven to $10 million because we're going to drill 25,000 meters. And we're going to, we want to develop this copper project. And at the end of this 25,000 meters, we believe we're going to be able to show we have X amount of gold 
an X amount of copper and be attractive to a major mining company that could buy us. So if, if things don't go right in the first six to eight months, maybe they haven't got the assay results back because of all the COVID delays and everything associated with that, and you're getting frustrated and the share price is now 50 or 40% of what it was when you initially invested in the company, can you hold management responsible for that? You know, probably not because they can't control the delay factors associated with the assay labs. And has anything fundamental in the investment thesis that you signed up for changed? They just haven't got the results back yet. The share price went down because of market factors the, the CEO couldn't control. So if you sell, you know, it's not right to call the CEO who took your money a scamster or I'm never investing again in him. He told you 25,000 meters. It was going to take at least two years. So you got to give them the time to at least fulfill or try to fulfill, you know, because they're the salesmen. They're selling you on the possibility. If I'm successful with this, the share price is going to go up. You're going to make money. So just to be fair to the CEOs, you got to give them time to see if they can accomplish that. That's pretty, that's pretty interesting. Because I, I mean, obviously it's a case-by-case basis, right? Because there's some that... And also it depends on the timing, maybe that you become aware of the story too. Um, but it's funny. I remember kind of when, when I first started interviewing all these companies and, and learning a bit more about mining, I, I, I found myself always, my thesis always ended up being with every single company be like, oh, they're a buyout target. Oh, they're going to get acquired. Oh, they're going to get acquired. Oh yeah. This is an acquisition target. You know, like, and then I also quickly realized like, okay, yes, maybe for some but others that just, they're just a hope and a prayer. Like how, how do you discern between on that thesis alone? Because that that's probably a main thesis for most folks when they're looking, especially when you're looking at like project generators, um, you know, even just pure explorers. Uh, what, what do you think about that? So two things, you, internet research, but also developing a, net, a network, which is crucial if you're going to be a successful resource investor. So if somebody in a certain region says we're a buyout target, but in the last five to seven years, all the major miners are divesting projects in the area that they're exploring. Or in the last decade, no major miner has acquired a project in that area. It's safe to say that there's not many suitors to be their buyers. Okay. And you can do that just by looking at history, research, and the internet. Second thing is, which is crucial, which is the reason why you would go to conferences like yours or other resource focused conferences. You want to develop a network and you want to meet people, have people in your cell phone that you can call or at least shoot an email to and say, hey, I'm thinking about this company. I took a one-hour meeting with management. They told me this is the investment thesis. They, they think that they're going to be a bio target in two years. What is your opinion on this region and are the majors interested in it? And I've had people come back, resource investors more skilled and experienced than myself say, hey, Bill, just avoid that region. Even if that manager is a good guy and the geological team is great, the region is just not hot enough for you to waste your speculation dollars on at the time being. And so that type of intelligence only comes through relationships, which you're only going to develop if you're engaging people uh, online, but more so even at these conferences and in person. You know, in, in doing all your interviews and, and both with management teams and also investors, what what are when it comes to the projects or the companies themselves that you're immediately like, nope, what are some of those red flags? So red flags, I kind of hit on it earlier. The first one is with with uh, the CEOs. Like you, you got to look at their 
okay, if, so for example, in 2016, I mentioned when silver started to run. And I, I told you, I didn't know what I was doing at that time. And uh, I invested in this little gold company. And then they mailed me, my broker physically mailed me the, um, you know, the, the thing to vote on, yeah, the circular. And uh, I looked and I, and I said, the guy's a, the CEO of a pot company. And then he was a CEO of like a biotech company. And now he's a CEO of a gold company. And I didn't even know anything. I'm like, <laughs> that. as soon as I put down that piece of paper, sold the shares. It wasn't a big position. But if, if he's chasing a hot trend, if the CEO has no experience in the mining sector, like that's a huge red flag, especially as the commodity sector heats up, there's going to be more and more junior mining companies uh, that are going to be created. And there's going to be more and more sharks that enter the water. And so does that man manager, does he have experience specifically in the mining sector? And I'm not saying somebody can't come from outside the mining sector and be a businessman or entrepreneur and then create a career in the mining sector, but are they simply tracing a hot trend to take advantage of retail investors or are they really trying to create value in the sector? That would be one thing. Second thing is like a lot of times there'll be um, an old project that maybe wasn't successful. I mentioned Arcana Silver, how that was an old project that the previous operator was not successful. The current operator is struggling to make it successful. So when you get a, a group or a management team that says, hey, we're taking this project, there's a lot of gold and silver or copper or uranium or whatever mineral they have here, we know how to make this work. If you're going to invest in that company, you got to be specific in your question. What are you going to do differently than the last guy to make it work because they failed and the operator before them failed. How are you going to get costs down? How are you going to recover the, the mineral better? And what you see going right now on right now in the meme stocks, you have AMC theaters along with Eric Sprott. Oh, man, you took my <laughs> joke. I was just okay. going I was just gonna throw that one at you. But no, yeah. continue. Sorry, go, go, go. Yeah, investing in Highcroft Mining, okay, which is this huge uh, copper gold project in Nevada super low grade, you know, the, the geometry may be okay, but it's really hard without going into the chemistry, which I wouldn't be able to explain. It's really hard to extract the gold economically uh, from the ore. So therefore it's, it's, it's worthless. If it costs you 2,500 bucks an ounce to extract gold that you can only sell for $1,900 an ounce, you know, what kind of business plan is that? Well, they came and said, we're, we're going to be able to, where other operators failed, we're going to be able to make this uh, succeed. And in the last year, they've struggled and they've struggled and they've struggled. And then the share price in the last week went up like tenfold just because the meme stock influx. Well, has anything fundamentally changed between what the current group is doing between and what the last group, I believe it was Allied Mining, did that failed? You know, I think it can be argued there's not much of a difference there. There is gold, there is copper there. But perhaps all the people that are just throwing money at it, they don't realize that it's completely worthless in terms of producing cash flow unless you can extract it economically, which Highcroft Mining has not proved. But they, they proved that they were able to move their stock uh, tenfold on no news just by bringing in AMC Theater and Eric Sprott. I mean... I was going to joke that, uh, are we about to see another junior, like a whole bunch of new junior mining companies pop up thinking, 
oh man, AMC bought us. Who maybe GameStop will buy a silver mine soon, or uh, <laughs> what? Are, what are these? What are these other meme stocks? Or look, or buy, or maybe they might listen to Tesla and Tesla and buy a, you know, whatever. Who knows? No, you, I'm not a shareholder in any of this. You know, and I actually had some FOMO. I got to admit, in the last week, because you know, you do your due diligence, and I, I'm looking at my portfolio alongside Highcroft Mining. One day, like two, three days ago. Highcroft Mining was up 81% in a day, 81%. And I'm talking about on like a billion dollars worth of share traded, okay? So like extreme liquidity. So even if you had a large position, you could flush it out in, in, in that type, type of liquidity. And then I'm looking at Highcroft Mining up 80% green on the day. And then my portfolio that I vetted down 2% down 5%, you know, up 1%, down 7%. And yeah, I'm like, you know, they, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, but you and, but you know, we've seen this time and time again with like random companies, you're out of the blue, like, oh, what? And then it's, I mean, on our index, like on, it's on, not a daily basis, but there's, it's quite often that you'll see just wild moves one way or the other. Yeah. And you're looking at your own portfolio, just like either what am I doing or like, whoo, I'm doing something right, you know, <laughs> on both right on both sides. Um, so, how should how should a general? Well, firstly, I wanted to ask you this, and I ask this to every mining person that I have on the pod: Are you a geologist? I definitely am not a geologist. <laughs> okay, <laughs> this is to give hope to yeah. those who are also not geologists that this is doable. And by the way, if, if the prerequisite for successful mining speculation was becoming a geologist, why are there so many poor geologists? Because it's actually, you know, there, there's, you have to have a very holistic view to this uh, speculative endeavor to be successful. And geology is important, but it's only one part of it. Well, you got to be like our, our, our friend, Brent Cook. You got to be an economic geologist. You can't just be a geologist. You know, it's a big difference. But you can understand geology. But here's the thing, too. And I'll, I'll share an observation that I've met sure. with from very uh, observing for seven years, very smart ge geological people to where they have an argument, let's say, against why a, uh, a project won't be successful. But I've seen those share prices go up five, six, seven fold after a, someone way more smart than me argued for why it shouldn't go up. And then I've seen very smart Geologists argue for why an exploration project could be successful, and the share price is fifty or eighty percent down from when they were recommending it. And I'm not saying we shouldn't listen to smart people, but what I am saying is, it's you know, even the best people that are coming with geological ideas, you got to understand it's a thesis and it's an analysis that may or may not be true. And ultimately, the drill bit for those don't don't follow the mining sector, you raise money, you poke a three inch hole in the ground, you pull out the core, you assay the core, and that will let, will, what's let you know if there's gold, silver, uranium, lithium in the ground. So then why should generalist investors, maybe folks who little exposure or no exposure at all to just resources in general, not just the junior mining space, but why should they be looking closer? They should look closer because it's the best sector to consistently find 10 baggers. But the flip side of that, which I've said so many times, is it's also the best sector to get 10 saggers or get one-tenth your money. It'll produce both. But it's that scuba diver uh, analogy that I lifted up. You got sharks, you got treasure at the bottom of the sea. And if you can learn how to swim down there amidst the sharks and get that treasure, it can change your life financially. And so 
this sector, there, you know, there's a knowledge arbitrage, and this is something that Rick Rule talks about, and it, it was one of the things that inspired me, even with my show named Mining Stock Education, that if you're willing to really figure out how this works, really figure out what to look for, you have a higher probability of getting a 10-bagger because the caliber of your competition is so low. And because the more technical and the more complicated a potential small speculative investment is, that means the more you educate yourself, the more you network, the higher your probability of success is if you can rise above your competition. So that would be my short pitch on why you need to look at junior mining stocks. So Bill, why, why is there still this disconnect though between let's say new technology that's out there and understanding that there's actually material that needs to be extracted in order to then enjoy that technology? So a lot of, to your point, there's a, there's a lot of people that may um, protest mining, but they're protesting. So for example, I was in uh, Toronto, I think it was like three years ago at the biggest mining conference in downtown Toronto. And there were people protesting mining in downtown Toronto. And you know what they were filming themselves on? iPhones. What's in that iPhone? <laughs> All sorts of metals, metals that were uh, mined out from Canada and other nations. So there, there is a disconnect to your point about what, what we actually use in everyday life, what we need for politicians' stated goals of electrification and so forth. And where does that disconnect come from? I think it's a lot of it is just a lack of education, perhaps, and a lack of awareness because you, know, you have clean environment goals, but you actually need metals and specific minerals to achieve those clean environment, low emission, low carbon emission goals, right? Well, the government at the same time, it's telling us we need to electrify, which an electrical vehicle takes five times as much copper as, as a regular internal combustion engine car. And then you're going to need all the copper and the wires that is going to transmit that electricity. Then you're going to need nickel and lithium and cobalt for the battery storage within the electrical vehicle. Then you're going to need uranium for constant baseload energy to fuel this whole movement. And at the same time, the government is denying uh, solid com copper companies, in my opinion, permits or taking back permits they already issued. So there, there is a total disconnect from the government level down to the end user between what we're saying we need to do in terms of electrification and protecting the environment and what we're doing at the, at the mining level, actually uh, encouraging and rewarding what we need to do is encourage and reward uh, the companies that are exploring for and developing these minerals domestically. I mean, is it a sustainability question where, cause like I've talked to most of these most mining CEOs like you and, and investors, and I know that that's on their mind. It's not, it's not like everyone's just trying to, you know, dig to the earth's core and just completely destroy the planet because uh, they would all agree like, Hey, if we do that, like we don't have a planet to continue to extract or do what we do anyway. So we have to think sustainably, right? So that also seems like it's part of the equation is that you just immediately go to, oh, mining, bringing things out of the ground, industrial revolution, industrialization, destruction of land and all this stuff. When I think sustainability can and probably is at, at the core of a lot of the thesis and, and management team's thought process when they're taking on a particular project. You know, do you have any color on that? 
No, you're exactly right. Um, ESG, we call it, right? Environmental Social Governments. And there are funds, as I'm sure you're aware, that invest based on how a company is, is treating society and the environment. And so when it comes to mining companies, this is a huge trend. And I've seen it in my seven years of investing in these companies to where it's, it's come to more prominence to where a lot of them in their, their PowerPoint presentations that they put on their websites to market their company, ESG is something major that they always talk about. And for the listeners that don't know, like if a mining project comes to fruition in America or any other developed nation, just know that that project has been thoroughly vetted. Because in my opinion, we turn away more projects uh, that could possibly be uh, brought to market that, that wouldn't be bad for the environment. So the ones that actually get through all the vetting, get through the bureaucracy, you can be assured that we don't do mining like we did 50, 60, 70 years ago. And those that do come, trust me, they're, they're going by high environmental standards and, and there's really little threat of harm. It's not that there couldn't be a cyanide spill or something like that. Those things can happen, yeah. but the likelihood is a lot less than it was 50 years ago. And if and and also to play devil's advocate a little further, I mean that's not to say there still isn't uns, unsustainable mining or, or illegal mining. Like I remember seeing a documentary, I think it was a few years ago, about you know uh, some of the gold mining going on in the Amazon. Um, you know, not by uh, you know companies, specific companies themselves, but just like the, the, the artisanal just, miners. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, stuff like that. And and so it's it's just. It, the 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 question you have to ask yourself is like okay do i believe that this is what is what's happening everywhere when it comes to mineral extraction or is there actual real corporations with actual guidelines and rules and regulations going on you know i think that's the the picture that i think most most folks just need to try and understand and, and we should point out too like a lot of these mineral projects that are developed remotely and there's the first nations group that uh, live or have rights to the land, it can be a boon for them economically as, as this, yes, they may have to give up something. You know, obviously if you got these huge multi-ton dump trucks going back and forth, it's going to change the landscape. So there's something they give up, but there's also great economic benefits that a lot of these groups um, can experience as well. So what would you say is, I mean, you've talked about a few investing experiences thus far and, and things, even, but what would you say is the number one investing experience that, or, or number two, or if you already said it, what would you say is that, that investing experience that really changed your career the most? Okay. The invest, well, I think it's what I, I it, it would other be the, the, the six other months. Than the first, yeah. I was going to say okay. other than the, the first majestic one, the num- maybe let's say number two or three. Okay. So uh, you learn the most when you lose the most, right? So uh, what I didn't share is that in 2016, after I had tenfold gains, then I sold some other investments I had. I took that money. We're talking now August, 2016, bought more junior mining stocks, doubled down. And in the next four months, lost about 50% of that investment. So in one year, I had tenfold gains and then after it went tenfold, I injected more capital and I saw 50% losses with that injected uh, new capital in August, 2016. So I got to experience both the euphoria and the pain. And the pain actually kind of set me up to be more cautious and to be more careful moving forward. So 
the tenfold ba- the ten baggers got me hooked. And then the pain of the second half of 2016 caused me to be more cautious and a little more shrewd. So that was probably my, the best thing I learned. Very good. And, and I'll, I'll add this, when it comes to junior mining stocks, call the companies, talk to the people on the phone. And if they don't answer, don't email right away. And you still think it's a potentially viable investment, call them because you will be amazed at the information that you can get that's not on their website, that's not on their PowerPoint presentation, that is not in any YouTube or podcast interview with management that you can listen to. And I've learned so many things that have caused me to want to invest or to want to stay away from companies simply by calling management. Absolutely. I think that's a great place to end it. So, you know, for, for more information, where can everybody go and subscribe to Mining Stock Education and uh, hear more of your thoughts? Uh, on YouTube, it's miningstockeducation.com. Just type that in and you'll you'll see it come up. Uh, we're on any podcast application. Just type in Mining Stock Education. It'll pop up on the web, miningstockeducation.com. And on Twitter, miningstockedu. Perfect. Bill, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a lot of fun. I'm sure we'll, we'll have another chat again soon. And uh, everybody, come to Vegas so you can see him in person uh, with Gwen Preston and David Erfley, right? David, that's that's right. And uh, again, Bill, thank you so much and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, Robert. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Podcast.